Um, I would like to take a look uh, today at specifically telling stories and how do we tell memorable stories. The course is going to be interactive because at the RNTC we do learning by doing. So you're going to be doing at the end of this session. Okay. Um, a lot of you are, are thinking, how am I, why am I in this session? We're going to look at two stories and I want to see which one in your opinion is better. Uh, they're both on the same topic. Uh, they're both about rats and mind-clearing rats. And I want a gut reaction. Which of these two is better? Four decades after the end of Cambodia's civil war, landmines still plague the country. By some estimates, more than a million mines are still in the ground, and they killed over 100 people in 2013. But a new ally, the rat, is joining the fight against landmines. The Cambodian Mine Action Center is training 15 Gambian-pouched rats to sniff out the TNT in the devices. I strongly believe that when we put these rats out to detect the landmines, that it makes our demining operation faster and so reduces rapidly the danger from mines exploding because the rats work a lot faster than humans, five to six times faster. Rats can cover 100 square meters in less than 20 minutes, while it would take a human deminer four to five days. Handlers begin training their demining partners when the rats are just one month old. They are sent to Cambodia from Tanzania by the Belgian non-profit group Apopo. When I came here, I watched how my supervisor trained the rats, and now I can train them to sniff the air or run around an object or mine. When a rat correctly identifies a mine by scent, it scratches the ground and gets rewarded with a tasty banana. In addition to working fast, they also don't weigh enough to set off any explosions. Until all the landmines are found and cleared, these furry creatures will be an important part of the demining team saving lives and limbs. Maya Pajara, VOA News, Washington. Uh, many of you have produced stories like this before, I'm sure. Uh, if it was radio, it's the same thing. Yeah, pretty much you got most of the story through the voiceover. Let's take a look at the second one now. This one is produced by the BBC. It's early morning and Mandy is boarding the bus for her regular journey to the training fields. But today, she has a big test ahead to see if she's ready to join an elite team on a mine-clearing mission to Mozambique. In the past, dogs have been used for mine detection, but African pouch rats like Mandy have distinct advantages. Mandy and Chums have spent several months in laboratories tuning their noses to the smell of TNT, the explosive in landmines. Having completed this stage, they put their nose to the test in the field on a series of courses designed to stretch their mine-sniffing capabilities. We use three meter, and we call it contamination, uh, whereby we use iron, iron casings. So we put them down in the field. They are three meter wide. That's why we call them three meter. Then the light when is used with that system, then the light goes to five meter. The distance from each landmines is much further to make the light work more to get to find the landmines. They are like humans. Some of them they are 
good, some they are not good. So they're different capabilities. Mandy is one of the rat school's high achievers. Most take about a year to train, but she has made it to the final test in a mere eight months. Yeah, the rats have to do a few hundred square meters containing, let's say, five, six, seven mines, and they're not allowed to miss one mine. When they miss one mine, they cannot operate on the minefield. Today, nine real landmines have been hidden. Mandy will have to find them with 100% accuracy. Guided by a search string which is connected between her two trainers, Mandy moves systematically up and down the course, processing lane by lane. Every time she sniffs a mine, she scratches the surface at the spot. Weighing less than five kilograms, she's too light to set off the explosive device. And when she indicates a mine, she gets what she's in it for, a click followed by a reward. With nine mines to find, that's a lot of bananas to eat. And as Mandy's ever-expanding pouches show, she's doing rather well. Finally, when Mandy's cheeks can take no more banana, the test is over. She has passed with flying colours and will head to Mozambique on a mine-clearing mission. OK, which story is better? Second one, why? So both of them, you, we could argue, had a story, yes? They humanized the rats. They humanized the rats, so we had a character that we followed. There's a plot. What, is, what does plot mean? Okay. So there's suspense. You want to know what happens next. In the other clip, we didn't have that sense of suspense. We didn't know and want to know what happens next. Yes? Okay. Sure. It's, uh, the, you, you're talking about the bed music also raised the, the suspense. Um, in terms of story, we know what, can, what makes a great story. There are eight elements that make a great story. And we're going to look at the eight essential elements of how to build a powerful story now. I first want to take a look at this case study. Does everybody know This American Life? Uh, this American Life is one of the most popular podcasts in the world. Um, and the man behind it, Ira Glass, is considered one of the best storytellers on radio. This American Life was heard by 2.2 million people on more than 500 radio stations around the world. And it's further downloaded by another 2.5 million people as a podcast. I would call that quite successful, specifically if people are going to search for this podcast. Ira Glass um, works for a number of uh, public radio exchanges, and the techniques that we're going to look at today are used in his podcasts. So he's a, he's a big leader in the fight towards storytelling as a means of radio and getting your radio listened to by millions of people. So 
What are the eight essential elements that create a powerful story? And this goes into everything. You can do it in an interview. You can do it in a discussion. You can do it uh, in your entire radio program as a whole. So I don't want you to think of this just as a narrative storytelling device or for a longer form. I want you to think about how I can put this into all radio productions. If you're making digital video, example, Kaya FM, this becomes um, something that you do even in your digital videos. So the eight essential elements are the eight essential elements. Hollywood movies use them. Great radio productions use them. Let's start with the first two. You were quite correct when you said that there needs to be suspense. <clears throat> so the first one we're going to look at is tension. Tension is that feeling that you get in your shoulders, where when you watch a good movie or you listen to something that's quite gripping, your shoulders start to go up to your ears and you go, <gasps> I wonder what's going to happen next. So as the time in the story progresses, number two, we want to know what happens next, what happens next. You normally have colleagues that are really good storytellers or people who tell great jokes have a good sense of this. They can make you wonder what comes next. So you need to develop something at the start of your story that begins that questioning. And it starts by asking a central question. So... How many of you are fans of schlocky romance films? No, no. You don't like romance films. Not one of you like a romance film. <laughs> I was going to say you guys are lying. Um, rom-com films. What's the central question of, this, of, of a rom-com? Will the guy get the girl or will the girl get the guy? In James Bond movies or any sort of action, it's will the good guy defeat the bad guy? Those are the central questions. Will the hero save the world? Will Bruce Willis stop the Armageddon? Yeah? Uh, will Jack and Rose be together forever despite the terrible Titanic? <laughs> what was the central question in the Mandy the Rat story. Anybody want to fuck up loudly and tell me? Will she die? Will she die? Okay. Will she pass? Is she, is she a good rat? Because like humans, some rats are good, some rats are bad. Um, let's take that as our central question. Will um, Mandy pass the test? I also had will she die because... Every time she eats a banana, she gets heavier and heavier. And I thought, oh my God, any second now, this fat rat is going to deploy the, the bomb because she's over the five kilogram mark. But the one that we start with, it's early morning and Mandy is on her way to the testing field. She is a group of, she's a part of a group of uh, rats that are going to go on a mission to clear mines. If she passes today's test... Mandy gets to go to Mozambique. So our central question is usually posed right at the beginning of the story. Everybody's seen the movie Titanic, I think? Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the um, biggest uh, box offices of all time. 
Will Jack and Rose be together forever? Think about your favorite movie. What is its central question? Or your favorite piece of audio or your favorite anything. It normally has a good, clear central question. If we have a central question, we need to have a central answer. So in the climax of your story, you need the answer to the question that you've posed at the beginning. If you don't have uh, the answer, then your story falls flat and your viewer or listener turns the channel or changes to the next Rihanna song or something that's a little bit more relevant to their life. You disengage with them or you leave feeling like all of this has been for nothing. The hit parade, the top 40, has got a very good central question. Will my song be number one? Yeah? So you go through 40 songs to get to the answer. That's what the hit parade does, the, the top 40 or whatever it is. Um, so your climax needs to answer this central question. What is the climax answer of Mandy the Rat? Will Mandy pass the test? Yes. So right at the end, yes. Or your central question, will she die? No. Yes. Thank goodness, Mandy. Will Jack and Rose be together forever on the Titanic? No. I saw a really great picture of how much space there was on the, the door that she was on. And they could, they could have fit Jack in four or five times. He was being selfish. <laughs> Okay, Bef between our central question and our climax answer, we need to have steps of rising tension. So if our central question is a yes or no uh, question, at the end, we need a climax. But before that, we want to delay. We want to get people to go, oh, She's gonna, they're going to be together forever. <gasps> no, they're not. <gasps> yes, they are. <gasps> no, they're not. Twists and turns, swerves, turning points. If you come from a classical narrative or if you've done any drama theory, you'll know what steps of rising tension are. But more specifically, a central question is asked here, will Mandy pass the test? And the steps of rising tension is everything that stands in their way. Great stories have a lot standing in the way of the character. So if we were going to make a story about this classroom and we put the hero in the corner and the hero had to go out of the door, will the hero leave the classroom? We could make it really simple. The hero could walk across and out the door. We get a, uh, an answer to our question. But that's going to be quite a boring story. We want the building on fire, we want the guy afraid of snakes or spiders, and between there and there, there's a hundred spiders and snakes. You need to give us things in the way of our hero. We call those steps of rising tension. What are some of the steps of rising tension in Mandy? Eating the banana? <laughs> no, 
So the banana was the reward up at the top there. What, uh, what other things could have been a step of rising tension? Okay, so right here, um, Mandy, will Mandy pass the exam? Then they give us one of the criteria is that what? Uh, some are great at this, some are not. But Mandy is a rat school high achiever. It usually takes a rat eight months, but for Mandy, it took. Yeah, Mandy took eight months. There's another thing about a good story. In the first one, what was the name of the rat? Cletus. Um, where was the non-profit organization from? No, Belgium. Fa <laughs> Facts and information, when they're not presented as story, get lost. Only 2.5% of the population need facts and information to make a decision or to do something. 2.5%. You normally, uh, have you heard the word innovators or early adopters? An early adopter is someone that can use facts and information and have behavior change. For 70% of the world, we need stories. We need stories usually by people like us. And we are flawed. And we have got serious things in our way. We're not brilliant scientists with no problems who are geniuses that can do anything we want. We usually, in our lives, have stumbling blocks and things standing in our way. So we like to see stories where the lead character or the, the hero of the story has things standing in their way. In the Mandy the Rat example, another thing that was standing in the way was that she had to do it with 100% accuracy. If she doesn't get 100%, maybe she goes to the sausage factory. I don't know, what does one do with a giant Gambian pouch rat? <laughs> so, she has to get 100% of the minds. The test begins. Mandy goes through the five meter by five meter contamination zone and she gets the first mine. Yes, Mandy's going to pass the test. She gets a click and a banana, click and a banana, click and a banana. The test ends. Has Mandy passed? Yes! Yay! Well done, Mandy. We have this sense of happiness and completion because the rat has passed. What comes next? If we left the story there at the end, we would go, oh, I wonder what happens to poor old Mandy. What does she, now what does she get? We need a reward or we need some sort of consequences. We want to see the hero rewarded and the bad guy punished. Yeah? So James Bond gets to go to a beach with some sexy girl and a nice car. And he gets to sip his... Uh, Martini. That's his consequence. In the romance plot, and they live happily ever after. What was the consequences of Titanic? <laughs> so because it wasn't good enough to let everybody die in the climax, 
Rose lives a long and impressive life till she's 90. And remember, she goes on that like rescue mission to find the Titanic. And she has got the star of the ocean. Uh, sorry if I'm going to ruin Titanic for you. But it, it did come out in 1997, so you've had ample time to see it. She, um, she has the, 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 the locket and she drops it into the ocean. And then she dies. And in her afterlife, the Titanic comes back to life and she meets Jack on the staircase and they kiss under the clock. <laughs> but the, the resolution is there. We feel a sense of completion as the audience. So don't shortchange your audience. You need a solid resolution. Great. What happens next? Those are the basic building blocks of a good story. If you've got a central question and a climax with a resolution and rising intention, you've got a good story. Oprah. Everybody knows Oprah. What makes Oprah a powerful storyteller? She knows how to encode a good central question, and then each question is a gradual rise in tension. Think about the Lance Armstrong interview with Oprah. It's a masterwork. Lance Armstrong is accused of doping, and his entire career he said no. But he grants Oprah an exclusive interview in which he comes clean. Will Lance Armstrong feel guilt about his doping? That's the central question. And she takes us through an entire journey to finally Lance Armstrong not feeling guilty. He says, everybody was doing it. I just got caught. <sighs> That's why the next day, everybody was like cutting off their Livestrong bangles and protesting Lance Armstrong, etc. Because he showed no remorse and therefore is a fallen hero. So any program format that you create, you can encode this. A radio show, a radio program, is just a magazine program. It's, it's the same thing as top billing. They're, they've got the same DNA. They are items linked by a presenter. That's what a magazine program is, and that's what a radio program is. So your whole radio show is one long top billing with Michael Mole coming down the stairs. Today we're in the lovely villa with his big teethy smile. <laughs> and... Uh, you, the radio DJ or the radio uh, presenter, are just linking items. How do you build suspense in your show? Why do I have to stay till the very end? I will say that uh, personalities like Reedy Clappy on 702 used to encode central questions into her, um, into her program and made listening really entertaining. Um, so if you have a central question, a strong central question, then I've got to find the answer out. Each thing is either delaying it or answering this rise in tension till I get to the end. If you encode a central question and a climax and some rising tension, it has shown to dramatically improve the amount of listenership you get. So there's a tip. A hot tip for today, if you take nothing else away, take that. A clever central question. 
There is, uh, I want to go, before we get there, another element, so there's eight essential elements. Another one is symbol. And a symbol is very basically something in your story that changes from beginning to end. We work in symbolism a lot, but a story symbol is different from something that is symbolic. And this is how it's different. So a powerful symbol has meaning beyond itself. That's what symbol symbolic means. It has meaning beyond itself. So any of you married? Any of you? One, two, three. No? Oh, oh that was a no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's say there are three people that are married. You are familiar with this symbol, yes? The, the wedding ring, yeah? That's a symbol that has symbolic meaning. What is, what is a wedding ring on its own? It's a piece of gold, something very expensive, but it's a piece of gold that you wear on your finger or a piece of uh, metal that you wear on your finger. We've encoded it with all of this meaning. What encoding have we given the wedding ring? What does it mean to you? Eternity. It's a circle that represents the unbroken commitment that we have for each other, right? <laughs> so eternity, what else? Huh? Commitment, yeah? Ex yes, I'm, I am someone's. I belong to someone, right? I'm owned. I'm exclusive. Ownership, yeah. What, a, what else? Sometimes it's status, yeah? So I'm taken. I'm someone's. I belong to someone. Uh, and it's for eternity, commitment, love. So that's what meaning beyond itself means. The symbol is also culturally understood. We all understand the wedding ring, right? But in India, women don't wear wedding rings. Uh, well, some women don't wear wedding rings. They have a bindi or they um, have a nose ring. That means that they're married. So this symbol wouldn't be culturally understood. In order for it to be a powerful symbol, that meaning needs to change. So we tell a story. Uh, the story could be, we're in, a, uh, we're in a shady motel room in the middle of the afternoon. A woman is sitting on the edge of her bed, of this hotel bed that's still made, and she is rolling her wedding ring on her finger. From the bathroom, we hear the shower go off, and a man emerges wearing only a towel. She quickly slides the wedding ring off of her finger opens the bedside drawer, puts it in, and closes it. He sits down next to her and says, Are you ready? She smiles and says, Yes. They kiss and fall onto the bed passionately. How has the symbol's meaning changed from beginning to end? What does the symbol now mean? She's cheating. The, the commitment is faded, right? It's not for eternity, it's for right now. It's not for lust, love, it's for lust. 
So the meaning of that symbol changes. In Mandy the Rat, what is the symbol in Mandy the Rat? It needs to have meaning beyond itself, and it's culturally understood, and that meaning changes. How does the meaning behind the landmine change? Yeah? No, that's too philosophical. We all need to get it. We all have this shared cultural understanding of what that thing is. Mandy's the symbol. Why? So how do we, as South Africans, culturally understand a rat? Dirty. Disgusting. It's a pest. Yeah, it's a pest. Yeah. Ugh. It's disgusting. How does Mandy go from being this disgusting thing to the end when you guys were all going, Aww, so cute. Aww, look at her getting the banana. Yeah? So we went from disgusting, gross, pest to useful, cute, <laughs> adorable. The, the symbol changed. And in that symbol change we developed a new way of thinking. In the Oprah interview, the Lance Armstrong bangle was the symbol that changed. To thousands of people who woke up with this bangle, at the end of the story, she concluded, what do you tell the fans that are still wearing this bangle? So the symbol changes for us over the course of our interview. Great stories have great symbols. Think about your favorite film. Anybody got a favorite film? What it saw. What is the symbol change? The saw, because of the, 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 the movie. Yeah. Right? Uh, the saw, I mean, is something that we use for household duties and stuff. And in the beginning of the movie, he uses the saw to cut off his foot to break free. So it's a symbol of his oppression and then a symbol of his freedom. Mm? Great stories all, like even the Bible has got great stories. Great stories. It's not a coincidence that Jesus was a carpenter. And then at the end, he's hung up with nails and wood. Yeah? The symbol changes. The first story we encounter in the Bible, even, or in the Quran or in the Torah is the story of Adam and Eve and it's told through a very powerful symbol the apple what, is it, what does the apple mean in the story at the beginning yeah but deeper than that it's forbidden why what does it represent no it comes to mean sin it starts off as trust, belief. Do not question trust. So a universal truth is love conquers all or um, persistence leads to victory or success. 
good trumps evil. Now, ironically, the reason why everybody was so upset with the Donald Trump win is because the universal truth of this was negative. Sometimes, if you're a liar, a cheat, a sexist, a racist, you will win. And because of that, everybody woke up on election day and was confronted with a very, very sad world. Yeah? So that universal truth or deeper meaning is what we extract from every story. Titanic, love conquers all. What was Mandy the Rat's? What message did you get from Mandy the Rat? So sometimes the th even the things that you think are pests can become very useful. Or uh, sometimes we overlook what could be our possible allies. So that's a good universal truth. The universal truth of the Adam and Eve story is if you question authority, you will be punished. Um, another universal truth of uh, a film or something that, uh, that is important to you. Saw, what is the universal truth? <laughs> is that the universal truth of Saw? Okay, so if you don't follow the rules, there are consequences. Okay, that's interesting for a horror film. Usually, the universal truths, your favorite films, have a universal truth that is specific to your character problem. I'll say that again, because it's quite, it's quite telling. Your best films, universal truths, are something that you, as a human, are dealing with that you need an answer to. So if you have a specific feature film or story or book or piece of poetry, go and think about what the universal truth is and then you'll see very quickly that it's related to you and uh, very specific to you. So people generally engage with the universal truth of a story. They, that's what they hook into. And that's why it becomes their favorite book or their favorite author. Because a lot of times authors use the same universal premise over and over, a universal truth over and over and over again. Um, Oprah, as a character's universal truth, is that she has overcome great adversity to get where she is. She's a fighter. Sometimes you don't have to come from greatness to be great. That's her universal truth as a character. So we all hook into that. If, that's, if you come from a, a, a lower socioeconomic place or if you come from the slight wrong side of the tracks, that's why Oprah's viewership is so strong. Um, because she hooks into a greater narrative of people wanting to better themselves. Grand. So I've done enough talking, now's the time to practice this. Are you terrified? <laughs> I have got a example piece of audio called the condom song. And what we're going to do is I'll play it for you and then I'll put the lyrics up. It's, it's short, it's a, it's a PSA. Then I want to get you into groups and you will do this investigation of what's the central question, what's the rising tension, what's the climax, etc. Okay, so let me get the song.
It really is called the condom song. And there's no sound. I just don't believe in condoms. Wasting time with little bits of rubber. I have a steady boyfriend. His name is Harry. He just wouldn't cheat on me and one day we will marry. Harry is a little bit late tonight. He said he'd be home straight from work at six o'clock. Now it's 7.30. Oh, where can he be? It's strange he didn't phone to say how late he's going to be. Now I'm really getting worried. It's midnight and the bastard still not called or made it home. I bet he's with a woman. I'll bloody kill him. Does he use condoms with her? Maybe I believe in condoms Saving simple little bits of rubber But I have a steady boyfriend His name is Harry And one day, one day we will marry Okay, the condom song uh, The lyrics are here on the board Groups of five, please. Try and work with not your friends. So this little grouping of buddies. Change it up. Try and work. Yeah, your buddies. Change it up. Work with people that you haven't worked with before. And break it down for me. What are the eight essential elements that you can find in this story? Including its universal truth and symbol. For this, I will give you ten minutes. And go. Do it. All right. Let's uh, do it as a group. Come back together. So, what did we find? Uh, talk to me about the central question. What central question did we find? Where is Harry? Should you be using condoms? Can I trust my partner? So, can I trust Harry, or should I trust Harry? Did anybody have a... Uh, what question did you find here in the front? Will she change her mind about using condoms? So, will we trust Harry? Will she change her mind about condoms? Uh, will she change her mind about Harry? They're all related to the same thing. And we all kind of get it really early on. I don't believe in condoms, wasting time with little bits of rubber. I have a steady boyfriend. His name is Harry. What's the first bit of rising tension? Harry's late. Yes, next. It's 7.30. Oh, where could he be? Yeah, next. Is he with a woman? It, yeah. I bloody kill him. Next bit of rising tension. Is he with a man? <laughs> sure. Let's not be so. Uh, yeah. Cool. Is he? Does he use condoms with her? And then what's that climax? What? Is that, the, is that the answer? Maybe I believe in condoms. So she will she change her mind about the use of condoms? Or will she change the, 
uh, her mind about her trust in Harry. And, yes. Nice. What is the consequences? Harry is about to get punished. Yeah. Yeah. She's imagined this whole thing. Poor Harry could be dead in a ditch somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So basically, she's just reconsidered the condoms. She hasn't reconsidered her her relationship with Harry. She's just saying, oh well, now that we're back to an open relationship, I guess we better start protecting ourselves. And it's a very European kind of way of approaching relationships, which is who this was meant for. So obviously, thinking about its audience, and Europe, most European women and most European men believe in open relationships. And then if you're in a relationship, a closed relationship, one of the benefits of that is that you don't have to use a condom. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because everybody's on birth control. Um, so, the consequences is that she's going to start using condoms again. Poor Harry. Uh, what was our symbol? Yeah? Did everybody get the condom as a symbol? Why? What meaning does it have at the beginning? What does the condom represent beyond itself? Trust, safety, it's silly, she says. It's a silly bit of rubber. What does it come to mean at the end? Safety. Yeah, safety. So we're challenging her understanding of condom usage. Um, what is the universal truth? Yeah. Okay. Any other universal truth? People change. Um, rather safe than sorry. Yeah, a universal truth is more generic. It doesn't necessarily have to be this story. So Cinderella tells us that in order to um, to win the prince, you need to be beautiful. It's a terrible moral premise. But if you want to succeed in life, you need to be beautiful, outwardly beautiful. That's the moral premise of Cinderella. It's not necessarily related directly. It just picks elements that are universal. In this story, it's about relationships. Sometimes in relationships, uh, the one that you trust can what? Can harm you. So protect yourself against that. And that's, a, I think, a universal truth that we all could understand. Uh, sometimes you can't always trust the ones you love. Oh, horrible universal truth. <laughs> but there's, it's still relevant, yeah? Okay. Any questions about this process? No? It's clear, yes? Yeah? 
Um, as long as it's relevant. So what a good moment of rising tension is, is something that's related to this question. So will the guy get the girl? If we had to plot a very generic romance, uh, every step of rising tension should be related to that question. As soon as it's not related to the central question, we get a bit bored and we go, huh? Where am I? I don't understand what's going on. Usually then your parents, if you're watching a movie or listening to the radio with your parents, will go, what? I don't get it. What? It has to be related. So, will the guy get the girl? Guy and girl meet um, randomly on the street, and she hates him immediately. She's on the way to the office, and it's her first day of work. She gets to the office, and who is her co-worker sitting in, front, uh, in the same shared office space, the guy that she hates. Will the guy get the girl? We already know that this is going to be the story. So in that moment, no. Next, that night they're on their way out uh, and they get into the elevator at the same time. They're the last two people to leave the building. And as the elevator gets, down, uh, gets halfway, it gets stuck. Now they're stuck in the elevator. Will the guy get the, the, guy get the girl? in the elevator all night and while they're there they decide to start talking to each other and she realizes he's actually not such a bad guy and he's kind of funny and goofy and all the things she likes yeah related to the central question the next day um the the guy comes to work and he's really excited to see her and she she is dropped off uh or flowers arrive from her uh, for her to say well uh well done on having your first day complete and he realizes that she has a boyfriend. Oh, will the guy get the girl? No. Uh, they go to an office party, and everybody gets a bit drunk, and this guy goes to the toilet, and on the way to the toilet, he bumps into this douchebag of a boyfriend who's kissing another girl. Will the guy get the girl? Well, now he's got evidence, so it's related. Everything is related. You're, you already want to know what happens next, yeah? Can you see? You're invested. We've set a good central question. Everything in the rising tension is related to that central question. A good rule of thumb is to make it a yes or no. Will the guy get the girl, yes or no? Will James Bond defuse the bomb, yes or no? Try and put a yes or no here so every step of the way we're answering yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Yes or no to the top. Great. Does that answer your question? Any other questions? Yes, sir. So there are films like that, but what it does is it sets a new uh, question. Will I understand how the hero got here? And all it's doing is it's screwing up with the time tension scale. So it's putting the climax here, and we go backwards in time. So the start of the story goes backwards in time. You'll also see like in soapies or long-form radio drama, there's two or three stories. So you're following in Grey's Anatomy, Meredith and McDreamy slash McSteamy story. And over here, you're following somebody else's story. 
or in Game of Thrones, it's Khaleesi and Khal Drogo, and over here it's the Imp, and over here it's like the, Snow, uh, the, the Stark family. So three different stories, but they all have a central question. They all have rising tension. So it doesn't matter just as long as it's a clear central question. A lot of people do that. Um, Quentin Tarantino, for instance, in Pulp Fiction, told multiple stories in multiple times. So his arc of tension goes up, stops, up, stops, up, stops. Then we go backwards in time into this storyline. Then we go forwards in time to somebody else's storyline. So all he's doing is he's screwing with the time. But each story has a central question. So he's only playing on this. It's still rising the tension for us. Well, it's good to have one central question through everything that'll, um, that will keep the tension for us. So, TV series Friends. What was the central question of ten seasons of Friends? Will Ross and Rachel get together? For ten seasons, <laughs> will Ross and Rachel get together? Season one, yes. Season two, we were on a break. Season three, we're back together. Uh, but then Ross goes, uh, then there was Bonnie and the Bonnie incident. Uh, then... Season four, he goes to China, and there's Julie. And then season five, she meets Paolo, I think, the Italian. Season six, they, the, the condom breaks, and they have Emma. Season nine, she wants to go off to Paris. The whole of Friends is one question. Game of Thrones, one question. Will winter finally come? I can tell you the ending if you want. <laughs> okay, so in terms of everything, you've got one central question. You can have smaller questions that develop over time if you're doing a long-form drama. So there are these radio dramas or radio serials that go over a long period of time. Yeah. Okay, so you're making a um, what? What kind of radio show do you have? Is it talk? Is it just a... Okay. So what you have is you've got links, items, you've got a bit of news thrown in the mix, um, you've got songs in the mix, but how do you establish a good central question? What could you reveal or wait to reveal through the course of your story? What could you do? Let's brainstorm it. Anybody? What could we ask the listener to do at the start of the story that we reveal or get them waiting for towards the end? A competition could work. What is a competition? Uh, how does it structure its narrative, its rules? Yeah? So there used to be, like the, the, the who was it that had Get the Bandit? I think it was like Alex J back in the, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, or some version of find the bandit. But that's a very clever central question that we can follow through 
the story, to build in a game element. Another way is to interlace very good discussion and then come back to the discussion towards the end or find the resolution. So I've got a guest on my show today and we'll be talking through the show to the guest. If you establish a central question early on, the music and everything is just delaying my, um, my outcome towards the end. And then you've got a very uh, interesting show going on. An interview, a discussion. Um, what else could we, we've got a game. There might be a live event, so something that's happening live that you want to cover with a clear central question. So an outside broadcast coming to you live from this event usually has a lot of excitement and hype. If you encode a good central question in that, you could have a greater payoff towards the end of your show. Because there's a lot of drop-off, right? People come in and out. Radio is like a background thing that a lot of people don't really engage with. It's kind of noise in the background. And then you come in a little bit and you go out a little bit. So how do we get people to actively listen? You encode a good central question. Some great symbols. A powerful universal truth. Make me want to know what's coming next. Okay. Excellent, everybody. Well, I hope that uh, I've at least contributed to uh, something. Uh, go forth and create. I'll be excited to hear what you come up with. Thank you very much. If you uh, want the notes, I have notes of, uh, of this with an example. Um, leave me your business card or take mine and email me.